Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Well, once again, we made it to a Friday here. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and this is The Inner Life. Glad to have you along for this hour of spiritual direction, trying to understand different aspects of our faith. And if we understand those uh, different teachings or doctrines or, you know, whatever it might be that relates to what we believe as Catholics, hopefully that allows us then to enter into that aspect of our faith in a better way with that knowledge. And it helps us on the road to holiness. And of course, we're not alone, right? We're doing this together. We're, we're in this together. And uh, I, I pray for you. I pray for every listener uh, here for The Inner Life every single day. I hope you pray for me. If, if you don't, can I make that humble request of you? Pray for me. Pray for our priests also, that uh, God works through this hour, that the Holy Spirit inspires what is said on the air so that we all, again, together, that we can grow in holiness and we have that hope of heaven. Well, today is the Feast of St. Mary Magdalene, a great day, and I uh, hope your summer is going well. You know, in the summer, kids playing outside, I think most kids like to dig in the dirt. Did you uh, do that when you were young, uh, like to dig a hole out in the front yard or maybe the backyard? There was this notion that I heard as a child that, you know, oh, you could dig through the earth and come out the other side, maybe in China or Australia or wherever, to, you know, wherever they, they, the adults said, until you started actually digging, then you realized how much work it was and how long it would take you to really dig through the entire earth to get on the opposite side of the globe. Now, when I was nine years old, I had a friend from school, Luke, who invited me and a couple of other classmates over to his house one afternoon. And Luke's dad, he uh, had this big shop out behind their house. And behind that shop, they probably had, I don't know, maybe one, one and a half, two acres of open land out there. And behind his dad's shop, maybe 20 or 30 yards back going into that land, that acre or two that they had, Luke, he had dug this big hole in the dirt. And when I say big, it, it was big. It was especially for a nine-year-old boy, uh, at least probably six feet deep, maybe even closer to seven. And he had some steps kind of going down into it. He also had a bunch of different toys that he would play with, different G.I. Joes, Hot Wheel cars and trucks and different things out there. And I was just in complete awe of this setup, even though it's, it's simply just a deep hole in the ground. But I went home and I asked my mom and my dad, can I dig a hole out in our backyard? And the backyard of our house had the main yard section with the lawn. And I wasn't going to dig there, but further back, there was this small fence that partitioned off that last section of the yard. 
And that back section, that was a garden area. There was no lawn. And so I was given permission. I was able to dig a hole in the corner of that garden area. So I got to work. And over the course of the next few weeks, I had dug down probably close to five, maybe even going on six feet down in this hole. And I would go out there and I'd play very regularly, several times during the week, each week, um, you know, especially spring, summer, fall, not so much in the winter, but many times I was out there on my own just playing, you know, having fun as a, as a kid, but plenty of times I'd also have friends over and we would maybe dig a little more or we'd play and have imaginary adventures out there. Eventually, over the next year, I dug a second hole that was right next to that first one, then made a tunnel between the two, and then I dug a tunnel out, uh, going out the back fence of our property, and that opened up to this field where neighborhood kids, we would all ride our bikes back there. Well, one Friday afternoon, after, you know, I'd had that, that hole in our back garden area for probably at least a year, well, after, uh, Friday afternoon, school had let out. I had a friend, Ben, who came over to play. And we were out digging and playing with toys in that hole. And it started to rain. But it was springtime. It was warm enough in the late spring that we didn't have to worry about getting wet, that it would get us overly cold. So we didn't rush inside. And the rain came down so quickly that we soon found ourselves were sliding around in this mud pit. <laughs> and we're just laughing and having a great time. Eventually, though, Ben and I, we decided we did want to go back inside the house. But when we walked up to the back door, my mom saw us, and she made us stop before we could enter the house. We were just completely covered in mud, all over our clothes, all over our shoes. So she made us walk around the house to the garage, and we had to take off our shoes and uh, ditch the muddy clothing, leave them in the garage. And then we took turns washing up so that we wouldn't get mud in the house. And finally... My mom gave each of us some clean clothes that we could put on while she put the muddy clothing in the washing machine. And it was only at this point now, finally, when we were washed and we were wearing clean clothing, that Ben and I, we were free to wander around the house. At 10 years old, I wouldn't have thought too much about tracking some mud through the house, you know. And I see that same sort of behavior, kind of an oblivious behavior from my own children now. But my mom... She was very aware of how dirty we were. She knew that we needed to get cleaned up before we were going to start making our way through her clean kitchen or walking on the carpet in the living room. Now, most of us, we have the hope of eventually experiencing something like this in a much more significant way at the end of our lives, getting cleaned up for heaven, to be able to enter heaven. In the Bible, at the end of the book of Revelation, we're given this description of heaven by St. John the Apostle, and he says that nothing unclean can enter heaven. So, how will we be cleaned before we enter heaven? Well, we're going to be cleaned of our attachment to selfish desires and our attachment to sin. These will be purged from us in a cleansing process that the Church calls purgatory. And today on The Inner Life, we want to take this hour to have a better understanding of what purgatory is, and then especially we want to discuss how we can pray for those Christians that have gone before us, those that are in that cleansing process. 
And our spiritual director helping us take this look at purgatory today, Father Craig DeYoung is back with us once again. Father Craig is a priest in the Diocese of Austin, Texas. He's the pastor of St. Louis King of France Parish in Austin. Father Craig, welcome back to The Inner Life. Glad to have you here on this wonderful Feast of St. Mary Magdalene. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think the last time I was here in the Feast of Sacred Heart, so uh, it's a good pairing with Mary Magdalene. That is, I didn't, I didn't realize that. That's great. We've had you on two, uh, two feast days the last two times you've been here. That, that's wonderful. Well, Father, as we get going here, um, we do want to talk eventually about praying for the souls in purgatory, but it's always good to kind of understand some of the basics of whatever the topic is. So can we start by just discussing what purgatory is and also what it's not? Because in the past, I've spoken to many different people, and this could be Catholics as well as non-Catholics, but um, I've heard it from both. They have this kind of vague understanding of purgatory, but most of the time they can't quite explain it well. Sometimes they'll refer to it as a, well, it's kind of this waiting place, isn't it? You know, there'll be almost a question as they're trying to describe it. So how, how does the Church define what purgatory is? Well, I've certainly had the same experience, and I guess the way I, um, in my own conversion to the Catholic faith, came to understand it was uh, really looking at the, the four last things, just to kind of a quick peek. You have your death, then there's a particular judgment uh, for heaven or hell, and um, then, uh, you know, uh, what happens after that particular judgment. And if you're uh, judged for hell, based on your own life and actions, you um, go straight to, to hell. Uh, but if you are judged for heaven, um, then uh, one of two things happens. Like your example today, if you were um, out sort of muddy and everything, you could have um, avoided getting muddy by not falling into that mud pit and playing in it to begin with. If you've sort of um, lived a life uh, where you have been sanctified by uh, God's grace and your cooperation with it through through various acts of love, and you're ready in that moment to go directly to heaven, uh, you would do so. Uh, but if you are still, if you're in a friendship with God, if you have a um, sanctifying grace within the soul, uh, but you're not yet perfect, you're dirty, you're covered in that mud, there would be the process of purgatory. And so it's not just a waiting place where we're sort of waiting for God to say, hey, by the way, you got into heaven now, or actually you're going to hell. It's not a determination for one or the other. You've already been judged for that. But if you've been judged for heaven and you're not yet clean, if you're not yet fully conformed to that love of God, and there's still something that stands between you and perfect union with God, purgatory is the time and the place where that is purified. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we describe that time as, as something that takes some period of time that we don't really know how much time. Uh, we describe there's a certain sort of suffering, but it's not the same suffering as you would experience in hell. So it's not just like you're tortured for no sort of reason. I think sometimes people think that. It's just like this arbitrary suffering. Uh, it's more connected with um, the pain of, of having to, you know, have a wound scrubbed out, so to speak. Like there's the purifying, and it's painful, um, but it's all for the sake of health, of that, that union with God. And then when that process is complete, uh, you would enter into the beatific vision and wait the final judgment um, and the resurrection of the body. Sure. And, and as you're talking about, you know, there's that pain or that suffering that goes along with purgatory, but it's for the good of the individual. I mean, we can see that in many different ways here in what we experience on earth, especially if you look at somebody who maybe is struggling with an addiction. And if they're going to give up that addiction, 
many times there will be withdrawal symptoms, and those are going to be extremely uncomfortable, especially depending on how long that addiction has been taking place, to what degree somebody has been, uh, you know, whatever the substance might be that they've they've been partaking of for however many months, years, whatever it might be. And so there will be that uncomfortable, that discomfort initially as they're going through that. But the long goal, the long vision here, of course, is to be healthy, to be able to progress past that. So for most of us, I guess I'd kind of say the the correlation would be we've kind of got this addiction to sin, and God wants to help us break that addiction, get out of that, and get past those withdrawal symptoms so that we're clean and we can be able to enter heaven. I think that's a good way of thinking about it. I think there's a few other analogies that are helpful as well. Um, my particular favorite um, you know, comes from St. Catherine of Genoa, uh, loosely speaking. She, she had some writings about purgatory, and it changed my way of thinking about purgatory a bit. And, you know, that suffering is something, uh, it's a suffering of love, right? We talk about the fire, so to speak, of purgatory, but it's a refiner's fire. So I think of that as the fire of divine love, Um, that when you're in love with somebody, you want to be one with them. You want to be near to them and share life and an intimacy with them. Let's say, though, that you're in love with somebody who's on the other side of the country and you are separated from them and you're awaiting the day where you get to go and be back with your loved one. Um, there's certain, sort of a, a suffering that goes with that, an agony of sorts, um, that you're longing for that day, and it's painful that you're separated from the person that you love. And so in a certain sense, purgatory is like being separated from one we love. We know that we're going to be in heaven with God. We know we're going to be reunited with him in the, the state of purgatory. And that love is um, sort of anticipating that, and the suffering is knowing that we're not there yet. And so as you get closer and closer to that day, um, the, the suffering even in, in certain, a certain sense intensifies, even as the longing and the desire and the joy of knowing that you'll be with your loved one is uh, getting closer and closer and closer. And so it, it, there is a suffering, there's an agony in our human experience that, that can sort of help us to understand that purgatory is sort of like that longing to be one and perfectly one and, and with the person that you love, and knowing that there's still something that separates you, a time or a distance, or in this case, um, this, the, the attachments to sin in our own hearts, right? And so um, when, when that day finally arrives and those things are worked out and we're finally one with the Lord, that, that agony and that longing actually intensifies in a certain sense our joy uh, and our peace and um, the joys of heaven for eternity. Now, another thing that you mentioned here, too, is, uh, you know, you said that with purgatory, we don't know how long we're there. Um, and even as you're talking about it, as I'm asking you questions, we're talking about it as though it's a a place and time <laughs> is the same sort of time that we're experiencing now here in uh, our, our physical, you know, uh, as, as we're experiencing on earth. Uh, but the church, my understanding is that it doesn't ever define purgatory as necessarily a physical location. It might be a place, could be, um, you know, and we're matter, so we have to be at some place. But also it could be much more the process rather than just the physical location. And then there's also that question of time. You know, we're, we're using our limited understanding, our finite understanding of trying to describe a process that, you know, we don't know what the length is and how time is experienced in eternity when we step out from our time here 
in earth <laughs> to be able to experience that. So we we have to use limited descriptive words that we have here, but I think it's important to recognize those do have limits and they don't necessarily express what purgatory in its complete understanding would be. Uh, you know, and I think um, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI very much agrees with with uh, that statement. I mean, I, I was, um, you know, I remember studying purgatory in seminary and, and thinking about it, and we talked about Spes Salve, that uh, letter on hope. And uh, near the end of that letter, uh, Pope Benedict says um, that for there is no need to convert earthly time into God's time. In the communion of souls, simple terrestrial time is superseded. It is never too late to touch the heart of another, nor is it ever in vain. Uh, and I think this is the idea you're talking about, that uh, we, we have trouble thinking about things in non-chronological sort of, of ways. You know, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Uh, and he's saying that God's time isn't the same as that. Uh, you know, God is present to all times and all places, uh, sort of equally even. And so uh, purgatory, you know, the place when the soul is separated from the body, the soul is undergoing that purification before it's uh, reunited with a resurrected body uh, and the final judgment and the resurrection from the dead. Um, there is this process, and we, we talk about time, but just in simply in the sense that there's change, that that soul is undergoing uh, a process of change. Uh, but it may not be chronological in the way we think of it, or, or nor even connected uh, to to sort of earthly time the way we experience it. Uh, and he says, essentially, we don't really need to worry about that. You know, we don't need to try to convert God's time into sort of our way of thinking about it, terrestrial time, uh, but rather to remember that it's of love, right? And uh, it's yeah, never too yeah. late, as he says, for one heart to touch another, nor in vain. Yeah, and that's such a good point, too. You know, there's some of those things where it might be it might be fun to think about it or, you know, a fun intellectual exercise of some sort, you know, to imagine it. But in the long run, does it really matter? No, what really matters is our relationship with Christ. And kind of going back to what you said at the very beginning, you know, there is the possibility that you might not even have to go through that process of cleaning through purgatory if here you have opened yourself up to receive God's love, that God's grace has worked through you, that you are able to be detached from sins and selfishness and all those things that want to hold you back from God. So there is that possibility. And if we're striving to be a saint, uh, that that really should be our ultimate life goal. And, you know, this is very connected, too, with what the Lord desires to draw out of our hearts in the spiritual life, and just life as a whole, which is a greater faith, a greater hope, and a greater charity, uh, that this is this is how sanctification takes place, right? That uh, we're justified by faith, that we're put into right relationship through faith and the reception of the sacraments. Uh, but then we live a whole life of sanctification, and what that process is, is, is that um, transformation, right, of, of, of fully sort of purification process, right, that that we can either happen in this life by growing in faith and hope and charity, or in purgatory, that work is completed, yes, and then you're made perfect and enter into perfect union with God and with one another for eternity in heaven. But that faith and that hope and that charity, it's an exercise of Christian hope, um, I think, is in a certain sense what we what we do when, we, when we're praying for the souls in purgatory. Um, we don't know how it works in a certain sense, other than that God is just and he's also merciful. Um, and so those things are intertwined there. 
and yet we have hope. We know the promises of Christ, we know the goodness of God, and we know that um, those who die with Christ uh, shall rise with Christ on the last day. And so we exercise hope in this moment as we pray for the souls in purgatory. And that doesn't mean that we sort of get to grasp and understand all of the mysteries of of how God uh, saves us, um, except that we know it happens through God's goodness and in the Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Again, talking with Father Craig DeYoung here on The Inner Life today, and uh, we're talking about purgatory, uh, trying to kind of go through the basics of understanding what the Church is teaching on it is, but we also want to spend some time talking about praying for the souls in purgatory. Um, also want to invite your calls. Uh, maybe that's something you do regularly. I know that was something for me when I came into the Church it wasn't quite on my radar in those early months and those first couple of years. And it would actually be my wife and my son. They would be so good in our family time at prayer that they would be constantly saying, oh, let's also pray for the souls in purgatory. So how do you pray for those souls? How do you offer those prayers for the souls in purgatory? Or maybe you have a question about the Church's teaching regarding purgatory. Uh, you can call us at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. Uh, Father, one more question just really quick before we move into the, the subject of praying for the souls. You know, purgatory is a word that is never found in Scripture. And so we have a lot of non-Catholic Christians who accuse the Catholic Church of inventing purgatory, you know, seeing it as, well, this—and we've already talked about it's not it's not this waiting place where it's decided, well, do you get a second chance after you die? That's not, that's not the teaching of the Church. But even though the word purgatory is never found in Scripture, we still can look and see this teaching— throughout certain uh, portions of the Bible. Can you kind of walk us through where we can look, how we can understand purgatory, even though that word is not necessarily used, how it is truly a scriptural concept? Uh, Absolutely. So, I mean, there's both sort of Old Testament um, sort of reference to this, and then there's also New Testament reference to this. Uh, sort of the preeminent uh, Old Testament reference is from Second Maccabees uh, 12, and uh, it talks about uh, making atonement for the dead and how um, that happened for some of the soldiers who uh, died fighting on behalf of Israel to sort of purify Israel, but also were wearing sort of um, some some uh, sort of medallions or um, pieces of, of thing that, that also were devoted to a, sort of a false god. And, and so they offered atonement for the dead. They offered sacrifice for the dead. And, and so um, it talks about a hope uh, that in the life to come that they would uh, be purified from that. And so uh, that's part of, you know, the Deuterocanonical. And so um, Scripture, uh, certainly inspired Scripture for us as Catholics, but not always accepted by our Protestant brethren. Um, so that may or may not be helpful, but at least it witnesses um, for for those who are not Catholic uh, to this Old Testament belief um, that one could atone for the dead. And, and it really... Um, you know, is is something that then points towards the things we already we learn about in the New Testament. Um, you know, there's I think uh, one there's two particular scriptures that talk about purification uh, by by fire. So First Corinthians three fifteen uh, talks about uh, you know someone's work bur- being burned up that one will suffer loss and persons will be saved as, but only as through fire. And uh, many. Uh, Saints of the Church and and even a couple of Holy Fathers made reference to this in terms of purgatory. Um, 
Also, 1 Peter uh, 1, 7 uh, talks about um, the genuineness of your faith, more precious than that uh, than gold that is perishable, even though tested by fire, may prove to be praise and glory and the honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. So it talks about sort of a purification process. Um, and then at times it alludes to this happening in the life to come as well as in this current life. And then the last one you mentioned already in your story today, you know, I think of Revelation 21 and this idea that nothing unclean shall enter heaven. Now, if that's a truth and we die and we're not unclean, but uh, we, you know, know that persons in that state die in a friendship with God and with grace in their soul, something has to happen between the moment of death and the time that that person enters heaven, if, if God's statement is true in Revelation there, that nothing unclean shall enter the kingdom of heaven, um, something has to happen. And, you know, you, you can call that whatever you want. Catholics call it purgatory. Very good. Well, there we've got uh, three different places in the New Testament. So, uh, again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Let's see, it was 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Yeah, and then Revelation chapter 21, which, if you haven't read through that chapter, you should just read through it anyway, because you have John who describes what he sees as the heavenly holy city there, and it's just a beautiful description. Um, uh, so I would highly recommend just read through the whole 21st chapter, um, or read through the entire book of Revelation. It's a beautiful uh, image of the praise and worship that is due Christ there, the Lamb on the throne. Um, uh, so, great, great book to read through. Um, Father, again, want to throw out the phone number, 888-914-9149. As we're talking about purgatory and coming up, we're going to talk about praying for the souls in purgatory. How do you do that in your life, and uh, how has that helped you in your own faith? 888-914-9149. And we'll be back in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Relevant Radio runs on horsepower. Your horsepower. Donate any vehicle and keep our stations running. Join in with hundreds of other listeners who have given their used vehicles at relevantradio.com slash car. Welcome to The Inner Life here, or welcome back if you were listening already in our first segment. Um, if you did join us late, I always want to recommend finding the podcast, and after the hour is complete, you'll find that at our website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app. And this is The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, joined today by Father Craig DeYoung, a priest in the Diocese of Austin, Texas. He is the pastor of St. Louis King of France Parish in Austin. And today we're talking about purgatory and specifically want to spend the rest of this hour talking about praying for the souls in purgatory. And we're inviting your phone calls. How do you pray for the souls in purgatory? How has that helped you in your own faith? Maybe you have a question about praying for those who are in purgatory, and you're welcome to call in 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Almost gave out the pledge drive phone number there. That That's not that's not this week, but you can always support Relevant Radio. We are listener-supported. If you'd like to make a donation, we really appreciate it. But no, the studio line to call in and join the program, 888-914-9149. And uh, Father Craig, as we start looking at praying for the souls in purgatory, um, there's a couple of questions that I have just right initially. Number one, why does the church recommend this is a good thing? We looked at, you know, some of the scripture there and especially what you pointed to in, uh, the book of Maccabees, but with purgatory, especially 
you know, the, the souls there, they have their guarantee that they're going to be entering heaven. They're kind of headed towards the winner's circle, so to speak, you know, but we're the ones who don't have that certainty in our lives. We're still struggling to live holy lives, to avoid sin, to try and grow in those virtues. So if we're the ones who, you know, hopefully we're going to remain in a state of grace, but there's that possibility to reject Christ's love, uh, the redemption offered through the cross. Why are we praying for the souls of those who are definitely on their way to heaven? Well, in the spiritual life, we're being conformed to the heart of Jesus Christ. And that's really our, our ultimate purification. Our perfection is to be one with God and uh, to be one with, with our Lord and, and, and who he is, is in, as a trinity of persons and a communion of love for from all eternity and for all eternity. Uh, we want to be conformed to that. And, and the Lord um, isn't simply concerned about himself, right? The love is diffusive, meaning it's for uh, others. It, it goes beyond itself. And what that means is then the economy of salvation, how, how God sort of saves, is um, not just a, a you, you, and, um, you and Jesus sort of relationship. It's actually you and Jesus and the entirety of the church and, and a care even for the world. And so um, part of the mechanism of how God saves is um, he gives us the dignity of being a cause in our own salvation and in that of others. Uh, it's all through the Paschal mystery of Jesus. It's his grace, it's his power that equips and enables it, and then our cooperation with it uh, that brings about our own sanctification, but also that goes beyond ourselves. Um, I talked about Spes Salve earlier, and Pope Benedict wrote this in it. He says, as Christians, we should never limit ourselves to asking, how can I save myself? We should also ask, what can I do in order that others may be saved, and that for them too the star of hope may rise? Uh, then I will have done my utmost for my own personal salvation as well. And so this is a, a connection between those, and purgatory is a big part of that, uh, that these souls in purgatory um, you know, are being purified by divine love, but in our own simple way, we can add something to that through an act of love, an act of sacrifice, an act of prayer, um, through an interconnectedness uh, of our lives with theirs, and bring about an effect. And the Lord loves that. He loves that we're connected and helping one another. And I think purgatory and praying for the souls of purgatory is as much about helping them um, through God's grace, but also it's something for us as well, that it brings about our sanctification when we do it. And so it's, it's that interconnectedness of, of, of the mystical body of Christ. Yeah, I like that, because so many times I think it's easy for us to look at different aspects of the faith and turn it into this either-or kind of almost a false dichotomy, when really it's a both-and. You know, we're not just helping the souls in purgatory through our prayers, but it allows us to then grow in charity and in faith and in hope, and uh, and and it, it, it helps us in our journey towards heaven as well. Uh, Father, what should be the focus of our prayers when we're praying for those in purgatory? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, preeminently it's it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? That this is where the power comes from, that sins would be forgiven. And, uh, and so I think um, uniting what we're offering, what we're doing uh, to this Paschal mystery, to this incredible um, uh, gift that God gives to us, and I think we, we lift up our, our brothers and our sisters in purgatory, asking that God would purify them from any attachment to sin they may have and um, you know, to speed that process along, so to speak, um, to perfect them. Um, I'm not. I'm not really certain exactly what you're you're asking here, Josh. Other than uh, just simply, you know, we we do have that intention 
uh, and we want to unite that intention to to the heart of Jesus. Well, and yeah, I, I guess I'm just saying, um, you know, are there are there any specific prayers that the church I uses see. for praying for the souls in purgatory? Is there, you know, and sometimes if we have those those specific prayers, they guide us in kind of helping us form and conform our thoughts to where they need to be in those prayer moments. You know, just like with the Our Father, uh, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and, uh, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So we're getting kind of a theological lesson there in certain prayers. So, yeah, I, I guess that's more where I'm asking in the focus of our prayers. Uh, you know, is there a specific prayer, something that helps us understand how we enter into that praying for those souls? Right. So first and foremost is, is the Mass itself, that we can bring those intentions into Mass. And we pray at every Mass for all the faithful departed, those who go, go before us, marked with the sign of faith. Um, and that's who we're praying for when we pray really for the dead during the Mass. You can also offer a Mass intention. Um, a key thing is a funeral Mass that we're praying for that person on that day. We're really praying for their soul in purgatory. Um, you know, but a, a really a feature beyond simply the Mass, um, which is the, 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 the primary way of praying, are indulgences. Um, there's very, uh, various types of indulgences that are out there, either, you know, um, plenary or partial. Um, and, and that's a key way of, of uniting particular works to the storehouse and treasury of grace of the Church. And so um, the, the Church has given these indulgences as ways for uh, to praying for certainly ourselves, but also to pray for the souls in purgatory um, is, a, is a great way of applying that indulgence uh, either to yourself or to those who are dead. Uh, Father Craig DeYoung is our spiritual director here on The Inner Life today as we're talking about purgatory and praying for the souls in purgatory. If you have a question, you're welcome to call in. We'd also love to hear your story, how praying for the souls in purgatory has helped you in your own faith journey, how it's helped you, as Father Craig was talking about, be able to grow in that that love of Christ, be united with Christ. Uh, our phone number here, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Father, Mary is calling in from California. Hi, Mary, you're on the air with Father Craig. Yes, good morning, Father. I have a question. Uh, my husband was killed in the 60s, and I never heard of purgatory in my life, so I never prayed for his soul. And now that I know, I've been saying the you know, the rosary for to save the soul. Is it too late, or how, how does that, um, I mean, uh, after all these years, I'm praying for her soul. It, is there ever a time limit, or what? Thank you so much, Mary, and that's a beautiful question. Um, to quote Pope Benedict XVI, he says, It is never too late to touch the heart of another, nor is it ever in vain. Uh, and so, you know, our prayers can cross time, you know, uh, because God exists outside of time. And so it's a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to pray even now for your husband, maybe offer a Mass intention for him perhaps, uh, to pray uh, certainly each day in the Rosary for the repose of his soul and uh, his, his salvation. So no, Mary, it's not too late. Um, and I would encourage you uh, to can pick up, if you haven't already, particular devotions and add him to your intentions. Mary, great question. Thanks for calling in. Again, our phone number, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Father, uh, another California call. This is Gloria, who's listening in San Jose. And Gloria, glad to have you here as part of the program. You're on the air. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, I'm not sure if this is a weird question, but how long do we pray for our loved ones that are in purgatory? I mean, I have, you know, my mom who's been dead for 20 years, you know, and my son, you know, four years. And how do I know that they're already in heaven? How do I know or do I just keep praying? That's a beautiful question, Gloria, and I don't know if I, I can give you an, an excellent and, and concise answer other than to say that, um, you know, really, ultimately, uh, God's the one who knows whether that process is complete or not, and so we have a hope. Um, and so I, I would continue praying, um, and I would say something along the lines of, of perhaps, Lord, for this person, uh, but also for all the souls in purgatory, because, you know, maybe um, maybe they're already through that process in a certain sense. Um but you know i don't i don't know if there's a clear answer on that i think we have that hope we have that faith in god and i think even a single mass is certainly sufficient in a certain uh, because that's that's the fullness of of um, what the lord offers a single mass is greater than any prayer we can pray um but we also do that on particular occasions like anniversaries uh, and things like that and we pray for the souls in purgatory continuously but how long do you pray for a particular person um I, I honestly I don't know if I have a really good answer. I don't think you need to spend every minute of every day doing that. Um but I think as a regular part of your devotion and prayer, it's not a bad thing to keep praying uh, for your loved ones. Gloria, I again great great question and Father, um let's go back to what you said about indulgences maybe coming up right after the break because I think that also kind of, you know, I'd like to follow up on what Gloria is asking by asking a couple questions on the indulgences that we're able to participate in and how those are applied to, uh, well, I mean, all first of all, ourselves, but also to those who we pray for. Um, again, want to throw out the phone number if you're listening. Uh, our spiritual director is Father Craig DeYoung. The studio line to call in, 888-914-9149. As we're talking about praying for the souls in purgatory, maybe you have a question. Uh, maybe you've been able to do that throughout your life. Pray for the souls in purgatory. And how has that helped you in your relationship with Christ? And uh, we'd love to hear your story, 888-914-9149. More to come right after this, more of your phone calls as well in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We receive over a million prayer requests every year, thanks in part to the Catholic Order of Foresters Studio Line, helping us stay connected to your intentions. Learn how our sponsor can support your family with life insurance at relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. This is The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. A big thank you to Nick Sentovich and Thomas Engesser for their help today. Uh, Nick producing the program. Thomas is screening our calls here. And if you would like to call in, you're welcome to do so at 888-914-9149. As we're talking about praying for the souls in purgatory today, uh, whether you have a question or you'd like to share how you pray for the souls and how that's helped you in your own faith journey. Again, our studio line, 888-914-9149. You can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Father Craig, right before the break, we spoke with Gloria, and she was asking about how do you know, you know, if somebody has gone through that process and they no longer are in purgatory. 
And one of the things you'd mentioned earlier in the hour is the concept of indulgences. And again, you know, whether partial or a plenary indulgence. And with those, I was thinking, you know, along the lines of following on Gloria's question, is it is it appropriate to be able to offer when you are receiving an indulgence? Is it appropriate to offer it for somebody that you care for, you know, maybe a, a, a parent or a grandparent or somebody who has already passed away and you're praying for them? Or is it maybe more appropriate to just say, God, I want this indulgence to go whoever to whoever you want it to go to or whoever needs it most. Um, any any problem with a little selfish desire there to help our, our own loved ones? Um, no, I don't think so. I think um, it's really about that bond of love, right? It's a bond of love to God and to one another. And those ties of love, those, those passions of the heart and, and desire for the good, the willing the good for um, uh, one another, our loved ones, and for those beyond is, is a good intention. Um, I think, you know, it should at some point go beyond that, meaning we do offer those things maybe in particular for our loved ones. Um, but then it's also a good thing to, to pray for all of the souls in purgatory as well. Um, it is um, indulgences, for example, are reserved for um, uh, either yourself, and they can't be applied to the living, but they do need to be applied for the dead, those who are deceased in purgatory, essentially. Father, we've also got John, who's calling in from Las Vegas. He has a question regarding indulgences as well. John, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air. Good morning. The, uh, my, uh, my question is, almost every day I try to obtain a, a plenary indulgence, usually by praying the rosary in church and offering it up to uh, you know, our loved ones who have passed. And, but one of the criteria has always perplexed me a little bit, you know, the, the, the requirement to have no attachment to sin, even venial. And it, it's hard for me to understand exactly what that means and exactly how I should, like, you know, accommodate that in my spiritual life. I mean, normally I say a good act of contrition prior to doing the, the rosary or whatever the indulgence act is, but um, I, I, I've, I've heard priests say that it's almost impossible to have no attachment to sin meaning, which would seem to indicate it's almost impossible to get a plenary indulgence. That doesn't seem right. And I've heard other people say it's really not that big of a deal at all, that you just have to be sorry, and that doesn't seem quite right either. So anyway, just wondering about that. Well, I think, again, it's situated, uh, John, in the, the, the virtue of hope. Um, one way of sort of erring against hope would be presumption, you know, in sort of sense we think just God just takes care of everything and there's nothing we need to be doing. Um, the other sort of extreme would be sort of despair, meaning what God has promised can never happen to me because of X, Y, or Z, and, and people kind of fall down the road, uh, the route sometime of um, scrupulosity in this regard. I think what we can do is um, we can certainly seek to right order our hearts, and as you've mentioned, make that general uh, act of contrition, um, and really seek to try to be free um, from not only committing those serious sins, but also um, to order our passions so as not even to be inclined towards them to be free from that attachment to, to that sin. And in doing so and making the best effort in that, we put the rest in God's hands. Uh, we sort of try our best to cooperate with the grace and trust of God. And it's plenary, and I think it is possible to, to obtain that. I think this is a condition, you know, that is possible. Um, then we obtain that, that indulgence for ourselves or, or for the dead. If for some reason in our hearts maybe there still is some attachment, it doesn't mean that the work is wasted. 
um, because then it becomes um, a partial indulgence. But you know, if you add up enough partial indulgences, so to speak, um, it, it you know it, it would meet that 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 greater need for the souls in purgatory or for ourselves, for example. Um, and sanctification is a process; it's not a binary thing where it's it's you know either or. Um, you know, we have that grace, but then it's at work in us, and then that's the process that takes place over the course of our lives. And so um, maybe in this moment you might have a little bit of attachment that you're unaware of, but by by doing these works of mercy, uh, your heart is slowly changed and purified so that you're able to be fully detached from not only mortal sin, but also uh, venial sin as well. Thanks for the call, John. And again, our phone number here, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Father, as we've been talking about the offering of indulgences for the souls in purgatory, one listener wrote in and said that she, for several years, she'd combine uh, riding her bike, getting some exercise by going through a nearby cemetery and praying for the souls in purgatory, um, you know, just kind of made it more top of, of mind awareness for her. And uh, especially as we get closer to All Saints Day and All Souls Day, that's another place where we're able to receive that indulgence. And I think you're able to receive an indulgence every day. Um, I know, especially, I think it was extended for a full month for the last couple of years because of uh, the pandemic. But usually it's somewhere about a week around All Souls Day, I believe, that if you go to a cemetery and you pray for the dead and then do those other regular um, uh, kind of criteria for an indulgence, you're able to get an indulgence every day. Am I right on that? I think so. I think it's November 1st through the 8th, and uh, you would be able to go um, to a cemetery, devoutly visit a seminary and pray, if only mentally, for departed. And then you would, uh, on Souls Day, or according to the ordinary on Sunday preceding or following it, you would visit uh, a church or an oratory and recite an Our Father and a Creed. And of course, then you'd need to receive Holy Communion and make a confession uh, and pray for the intentions of the Holy Father. But if you do that indulged work, uh, you could do that each day on the 1st through the 8th of going to the cemetery and offering that prayer. And of course, um, you know, the other things that are surrounding that as well. But yeah, and and there's all kinds of ways... I'm sorry, go ahead, Father. No, I was just going to say, I think that's, uh, you know, you could do that once a day each day. So uh, I know the, the, the law permits you to do this um, to gain a plenary indulgence only once per day. Right, right, yeah. And there's other ways by, you know, spending time in Eucharistic adoration. Um, you know, a lot of times the, the Holy Father will give other ways that we can receive those indulgences. Um, so, you know, the, there are multiple opportunities for that throughout the year. Um, Father, let's go back to the phones. Again, the phone number, 888-914-9149. Mark is calling in from Tampa, Florida. Mark, uh, glad to have you here on The Inner Life. Thank you. Uh, Father, what's the best way to uh, in prayer to ask the Holy Souls to pray for you and your intentions? Well, um, you know, I, I don't know if there's a best way. Um, I think it's just a matter, again, of, of the heart. And so you offer your certainly your prayers for them, um, but we can also ask them to intercede for us. And so I think, you know, the same way you would pray with, with a saint— um, is to ask them to to intercede for you for your intention. Uh, maybe just talk with them heart to heart about that, and then ask for them uh, to intercede in in some fashion for you. And I, I don't know exactly, um, subjectively speaking, what their experience of that is like, um, but it is possible that they are, they are able to to also intercede for us. And so I think it's a great point is to ask the holy souls to to pray and intercede for us. 
Thanks for the call, Mark. Uh, Father, getting a little low on time here, but before we uh, run out of time, any specific resources, if somebody's listening and they want to learn a little bit more, they want to, uh, you know, go beyond what we've been able to talk about in this hour, um, any good books you might recommend on praying for souls in purgatory, maybe some writings of one of the, the popes or a saint? Well, there's a number of different things out there. Um, I, I don't know if I could quote all the different works that are out there, but one that was really helpful for me was by St. Catherine of Genoa. She has some writings on purgatory, and I found those very fruitful. Um, of course, you know, there's some great saints out there, St. Gertrude, uh, St. Padre Pio, um, Pope Leo the Great has some works on this. I, I really like this tail end of Spes Salve, the encyclical letter from Benedict. Obviously, I've quoted it a few times here. Um, paragraphs 46 through 48 uh, talk about purgatory. Um, you know, and I, I think, um, you know, I, I think that's, those are things I'm familiar with. Very good. Um Father, let's see. I'm just looking here to see. Let's try and get one more phone call on here. Um, Kay is listening to us in Wisconsin. And Kay, glad to have you here on the air with us. You're, you're on with Father Craig. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd like to know about the chaplet for priests in purgatory. Uh, it's a call to, I've been reading about a devotion of 33 offerings of the blood of Christ in the month of July because this is the precious blood of the month of precious blood of Jesus. I, I'm a rosary maker, and I'd like to start making these and giving them out, and I'd like to know more about it. Oh, wonderful. I'm really happy to hear that you're, you're doing that. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not actually familiar with that devotion as, as I would like to be, so perhaps hearing about this is an opportunity for me to inform myself on this particular devotion. I know it was the month of the Most Precious Blood, um, but this particular devotion of a rosary for priests in, in purgatory um, sounds like a very special devotion, and uh, I will greatly appreciate that in my own salvation as well. Thanks so much for calling in, Kay. And uh, Father Craig, as we are getting here to the last minute or so, um, especially since we've been talking about praying for the souls in purgatory, I wanted to give you a little extra time at the end of the hour that we could all join together and pray for the souls, but also ask for your blessing as we do conclude the hour. Absolutely. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit and kindle our hearts to the fire of your divine love. In this mystery of love, we lift up uh, to you in prayer all of the souls uh, who are in purgatory. We ask that by your divine grace you would perfect and sanctify them, make them perfect and holy so they may enter into this beautiful and divine uh, vision of uh, your life and your love. We pray, too, that their prayers and intercessions may be heard for us, the church militants here on earth, and we ask for their intercession. We ask then, Almighty God, in the name of your Jesus Christ, your Son, uh, to hear our prayers, and we ask your blessing upon all those listening today, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Craig, for being with us here during this hour. Uh, again, if you joined us late, I always say it here at the end of the hour, go back and listen to the podcast. You'll find it at our website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app. And, uh, of course, stay tuned. Want to make sure that you uh, stay tuned for Mass coming up next here on Relevant Radio, followed by The Faith Explained. And we'll see you back here on Monday. We're going to be talking about praying for our enemies. 
Uh, <laughs> that might not be the easiest thing, but we're going to talk with Father James Kubicki about that and how we can look at those people who maybe are difficult to be around or even give us a bad time. Uh, how we can love them and pray for them. It'll be a great conversation. Have a blessed weekend.